Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Hello. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. Good job, moms. You're here. Good job. Uh, congratulations, graduates. You who've graduated something. Super job. Super job. So this parable unfolded in my life this morning, and it was, it was the perfect picture of how I think many of us feel. There's this constant race uh, at my house uh, for the front seat between my girls, always the front seat. So we'll get in, <clears throat> I'll head out to the truck, and then they will take off. Who's going to sit in the front seat? Um, so this morning there was already a battle. Somebody had beat somebody else. To the, and this is not my wife, this is my daughter's. Um, <laughs> which would make for a better story and weirder, but uh, it's not them, it's my daughter. So they're racing, for, uh, they're racing for the front seat. This morning they'd already done it. We had to make a couple of stops. Every stop they were doing it. Finally we stopped in at Walmart and uh, before we came here. And Brooklyn takes off when the doors open up. There's no traffic. She jets across the parking lot and she gets there and she's yelling, Victory! Victory! And she turns around and she says, is this the right truck? <laughs> and so many times, like I feel the same way, like, oh, I knocked it out of the park. And they're like, no, you missed it. And I'm like, at least I was on time to the wrong place, you know? <laughs> uh, went to pick up one of the girls at Drum Circle one day. I'm parked in front of the school and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. No kids, no parents, no nobody. And I'm like, this is a pretty covert operation. I don't know where these kids are coming in and out of. Called my wife. I was like, uh, yo, there's nobody here. She's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm at the grade school. Which one? You know? This one? It's like, not Lincoln? No, I'm not a Lincoln. Go to Lincoln. That's where she'll be. I'm like, good job. You made it to the victory. Is this the right school? No, not the right school. So I think sometimes we kind of we do the same thing. Like, listen, so, so just to kind of just kind of help you where you are. Hey, I don't know where your life is. I don't know what's going on. You made it here, right? You made it here. You fought all the way. You fought all the way here. And your spouse is an idiot, took a wrong turn. Your kids don't mind. Shoes don't match, right? All of it. At the end, we, it, that's it. Guess what? Victory. We made it here. That's what, that's what matters. We made it here. You know, that's a, that's a solid deal. Let's pray. And we'll jump into Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 7, verse 36. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do appreciate your word. We do appreciate the uh, things that unfold in our life, that give us a picture of heaven, give us a picture of our life, give us opportunities to connect with you. Lord, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you for this writer, Luke, who uh, tells us about your son, who gives us these details that, that move us and shake us and challenge us, help us grow. Lord, we ask this morning, as we open up your word, Lord, we can hear your Holy Spirit speak. Um, and, and we, can, we can begin to make those changes in our life. We can begin to see the things that we have not seen before. Give us eyes to see your work and to ears to hear your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7. I'm gonna, I, I don't like to stick to my notes too tight, but there's, something, there's some things that um, I just kind of sometimes have to just read. So, um, so bear with me uh, through this. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read you this passage first. Uh, starting in verse 36. 
Luke 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at, G at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. <clears throat> she was labeled, stamped, marked. She is a sinner. Was she a gossip? No. She was not a gossip. She, maybe she was a busybody. Maybe she was, but that's not the point. It's clear what she is. She is <clears throat> a woman and a sinner. It's subtle, but it's clear. It is unmentionable. That's the position that the writer takes. Her sin is unmentionable. Woman in first century Palestine, at very best is a second class citizen, but more commonly seen and referred to as property. Women were property. But see, even a wife who was property, at least she had a place in the home, at least she had a table to sit down at, at least she had an owner, a husband. This woman, she is a woman. She is a sinner. This is the tag that she wears. In her mind, what she had done in her life, the pattern of her life, her lifestyle, had become who she is and what she is. This is what I find interesting. If asked, what is your greatest, what is your greatest thing? What is the thing about you that everybody knows? What is the thing you are most known for? It's amazing the response that will start to come out. I ask this question a lot. I'll randomly text it out to people. Your name, whoever you are, and then is a... And as I throw this question out to random people, I get the best, I get the very best answers. But here's what I also get. The majority of the answers that come back are negative. And it's kind of true for us too, isn't it? The majority of us. We rarely have a positive thing to say about us. We are our worst or greatest critic. We always come down on ourselves more harshly than probably the rest of the world would. And this woman is no different. There's a pattern that unfolds in the life of, of, of humans. When you become something, when you do something often enough, and it just kind of becomes the thing that everybody knows you for, it's no longer what you do. Now it is who you are. Oftentimes referred to as, you know, the guy on the bicycle. Right? You know, the guy that walks around in the bright green shirt. 
you know that one lady. And there's a name. And it's no longer about what they do. It's about who they are. It's no longer just, oh, they do this or they have done this or this is in their past. It is their name tag. Hello, my name is. And this is where she is. And we become the same thing sometimes. We let something like that just chew us away. And that is what I am. I must be an addict. I no longer struggle with addiction. I am an addict. I am just an addict all the time. That is my name tag. That is what I wear. You see, Scripture speaks honestly about that, that when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. We are made different. So when tragedy unfolds in our life, we are made different. When we can't get past something and we bring it to Christ, we are made new again. See, one of the first principles I want to point out is this. You are not your sin. You are not your sin. We don't get the whole story of this woman. We don't know if there's a history of abuse. Why is she working the streets? You don't get the backstory. Was she abused as a kid? Because that can kind of trip you up a little bit. I don't know if you know. That can kind of spin you out, kind of leave you in a, in a weird place for a long time. Was there tragedy in her life? Did the husband just leave? She's got babies at home? And so now pious men are the full-time boss of her under the cloak of darkness as she works on, on dirty sheets? Is that what happened? We don't get a backstory. All we get is sinful woman. Sinful woman. The sinful woman, I don't know if you know this, but in the underbelly of the first century Palestine, there is information that moves a little bit faster than it does on, oh, say, Facebook or CNN. I don't know if you know this, but 2017 in Iola, Kansas, in the underbelly of Allen County, do you know information travels a whole lot faster there than it does up here on the surface? Oh, absolutely. There are so many people who are in trouble on the underbelly. Just go there and ask. Mention a name. Oh, yeah, I know tons about that guy. People have all sorts of information to share. They come out with stuff you've never heard before in your life. And you're thinking, the last I knew, that guy was in charge around here. Yeah, bad deal, huh? This is what happens. This woman has heard that there is a new teacher in town, a new rabbi. He's kind of different, not like the other ones. Rabbi would not spend his time speaking to women. And if he did, it would not be a comfortable situation for him. He wanted to be above reproach. He did not want anybody to think that he was trying to swoon a woman. And so he would not speak to a woman. But this rabbi, this guy, this Jesus fellow, he is running around with drunkards. There's always prostitutes at the table. There's tax collectors. We got to kind of wonder about this guy. And she said, I heard he makes people new again. And I don't know what that means, but I know I'm broke. I know I'm not whole. And if I get around him, I hear he makes people whole. You know, one of the biggest misconceptions about the Christian walk is this. Some people have 
obvious situations and things in their life that they need Jesus to move into their life and help them overcome, correct? You see it. You see it all the time. You can look at somebody and like, oh, they need a little bit of Jesus, you know? And maybe a sedative. It's true. Like we have these, we have these thoughts. You know, you know what happens though? We also get in this place to where we think, they need Jesus, but I don't really know what I need. Their situation is big, but I show up with my situation. My situation is kind of small. I go knocking on the door of heaven talking about, hey, um, I'm kind of not feeling very happy today. The Lord's going to swing the door open. St. Peter's going to stick his head out. Be like, hey, 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 stop your crying. Okay. This is the idea that we get. I don't want to go rapping on the door of heaven about, you know, I just don't feel good or I'm struggling a little bit today or I got some stress on me from work when real people have real problems. Look at this woman. Doesn't say she has some sort of physical problem. Doesn't say that she has some sort of mental issue. Doesn't say she's got some history to overcome. You know what it says? Is that she is a sinner. What she need Jesus for? How do you live in a life? How do you stay in a pattern of life where there is no hope for the next day? I'm just going to be honest about me. I was having this conversation with Jay and Sharon before church. Do you know why I'm a Christian? It's not because of the occupation. I'm a Christian because Jesus is the only thing that's ever held my attention. That's it. I'm so bored with the rest of it. Oh, and there's fun things to do for like five minutes. And I love to go fishing, but then there's times to where it's just like, that's a long walk. And I don't want to go. And then they don't bite. Then I'm really over it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the reason I'm a Christian is because I need something to hold my attention. You know what the biggest problem with me is? Is that if something doesn't hold my attention, I will ruin my whole life. Promise. I will wreck my marriage. I will blow this church to pieces. I will ruin my good friendships. What is, if I go rapping on the door of heaven, Lord Jesus, could you help me stay more focused? St. Peter should come out and be like, get some medicine, weirdy. Be like I did. <laughs> but it's not helping. <laughs> I need that. That's the thing I need. You see, you can't put your problems and somebody else's problems on scales and say, well, they need it more than I do. What is it that you need? What is that thing that is in your life that Jesus has allowed to be there? Why is it there? Well, wouldn't I be better if he took it away? No, you would be dependent on only yourself. That's what you would be. Because you have that issue, and because you struggle where you are, you always have to go back to Jesus. Like, did Jesus take this away from me? If he took it away, think of how good of a Christian I would be. Yeah, we would stop talking. Our friendship would be over the minute I take that away from you. Why would I take that away from you? It's like I've explained before. You know what's so great about little kids? Is they can't reach the fruit snacks in the top cabinet. And that makes me useful. Daddy, will you... Absolutely. Because I am so tall. 
feeling good about myself today. And the Lord is saying the same to us. Why would you want me to take? No. No, I'm not taking that away from you. That is there for a reason. That is your thing. What is her thing? She's a sinful woman. We don't know the backstory. Here's what she knows. I need to be made whole. It's not what I'm doing that's killing me. It's the guilt. Have you been there? It's not the sin. It's the grinding guilt that is in my life. Like, I don't want to be this anymore. I'm so tired of hurting people. I'm so tired of letting everybody down. I'm so tired of going back to that same thing over and over. What is wrong with me? I don't want to do this. And she says, I heard he's in town. And I'm going to go find him. Across town, there's another man. His name is Simon. The Pharisee. Gospel of Luke says it. Simon, the Pharisee. You know what it tells me? Luke took the time to figure out what this guy's name was. Most of the other gospel writers, you know what they say? He's a Pharisee. That's what they say. Pharisees were called separatists. Here's what it meant. I am holier than thou. I'm going to need you to take about three steps back. My piety is the thing that God loves about me. So I need you to keep your distance. If you dirty me, God will be angry with me. And so let's save you and let's save me and you keep your distance, please. They're separatists. So you can imagine the contrast between Jesus and a separatist Pharisee, right? Jesus who touches lepers, and everybody there's like, ooh, he's going to need some hand sanitizer, medium. That's super yucky, no. The one who comes in contact with Samaritans, he talks to them, has conversation with them. You can see the Pharisees and the separatists like, you know, God's going to be really mad at him. And, and I think inside Jesus is like, except I am God. So like, I'm not mad at myself, am I? No, it's a good thing I wasn't there. <laughs> so they're separatists. So this guy across town, Simon, he also hears that Jesus is in town. Now he's kind of got a little bit of a different interest in Jesus than the other lady does. This lady, she's got interest in Jesus because she heard he can make somebody whole. Simon, on the other hand, his interest is kind of kept secret. That is until she shows up. See, the common deal was this. If you were to invite somebody over to be a guest of honor at your house to eat, you left your door open. This served two purposes. Number one, it allowed other people to come into your house and meet your guest. Oh, you got a guest. Can I come say hello? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know. It's the governor. Hey, hello, governor. How are you? I was at a friend's house one time. This is a guy. I know he's a business guy. And I was sitting there talking to him, and the phone rang at his house. And the caller ID, I didn't look at the caller ID, but the phone rang. He picks it up like this. He goes, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, great. All right, good to hear from you. Bye. Hung up the phone. And I was like, well, that was kind of an interesting conversation. Like, I hadn't heard him talk like that before. Most of the time, he just... Whatever, I don't know, it's something different. I said, who is that? And he said, the president. And I was like, whatever. I'm well, the president. I said, who was it really? Who was it really? He's like, the president. Said, was it the president? This guy's president. <clears throat> whatever. Went on, forgot about it. Later on, I'm all still inquisitive about wondering who that was. So I go over, uh, go over to the caller ID, uh, Governor Bill Graves. 
Like, he's not the president, you know? But it didn't really matter. It's kind of important. That's who was on the phone. You left the door open so, see, so somebody could see who was in there. Oh my goodness, your guest of honor? You also left it open so that the guest could see it is me entertaining the governor. <laughs> Problem with keeping the door open. Oh, my house is on this hill, and if I leave both doors open, I get this breeze that just roars right through. Brings in some dust, but the breeze is so nice. But the problem with leaving the door open is flies. Dogs. Pests. And in this situation, sinners. If you were to ask a police officer, hey, what can you tell me about this verse right here of this, 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 about this lady? She came into the house carrying an alabaster box. If you're a police officer, what, do you, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? She came in with this. Is there a premeditated thing going on here? Something's going on. Why does she have a box? You just walk around with the box? No. This is premeditated. She heard he was in town. She ran to get the box. And here she comes, racing right in the front door of the Pharisee, Simon the Separatist. Roars right in and falls down at Jesus' feet, standing behind him, crouching behind him. And she begins to weep. See, here's another principle that I want to tell you about. Did you know, did you notice that Luke names this guy, Simon? Did you know that Jesus wants to save Christians too? Jesus wants to save Christians too. You 50-year church attenders, you who've brought your Bible and your friend and you filled up your chart, Jesus is going to save you too. He's going to push your buttons. He's going to mess your life up. He's going to show up because he ain't done. You ain't seen all of Jesus. Even though you've been in church, you ain't seen all of Jesus. He's going to show you something new as well. Another principle we should take away from that is that Jesus doesn't stop working in my life just because I've been in the game for a minute. He's not going to leave you alone. That ought to encourage you, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I wish he'd leave me alone for just a minute. Just need a little break from Jesus, just a little one. Praise the Lord, just a little one. He wants to save Christians too. So he leaves the door open. And here she comes throws herself down at his feet. Listen to the strangeness of all this. And this is strange. It's way awkward. She begins to cry. Now, there's a thing here. Women were supposed to be wearing a scarf over their head. She is not. She's supposed to have her hair up. She does not. And she falls down at Jesus' feet and she weeps and she weeps and she weeps. And as she cries, the tears stream down her face and they fall down onto Jesus' dusty feet and she begins to push the mud away from his feet. Then she begins to kiss his feet. And as she kisses his feet, she opens this alabaster box full of this, this ointment, this scented oil. And she begins to wipe it all over his feet, kissing his feet. Can you see the awkwardness in some of this? Now, for us, we're a little removed culturally, so we're having a hard time kind of connecting with it. But there's was, there was kind of a thing here that makes sense. Let's pause and ask a question real quick. 
How hard is it to ask for help? I mean, how hard is it to ask for help? We would like to say, like, well, you know what my biggest problem in the world is? What? It's alcohol. You know what my biggest problem in the world is? Food. And my biggest problem in the world is what? My marriage. And my biggest problem in the world is what? My history. Really? You know what I bet? I bet for most of us, our biggest problem in the world is pride. I don't want anybody to know I'm broken. I'm important. If you know I'm broken, you want to come and ask me anything? No, you'll find somebody smarter than me. If I tell you I'm jacked up, kind of my job to know something, isn't it? If I tell you I don't know something, then what? You've got to go find somebody else. I don't want you to find somebody else. I like you. Let's stay here. I'm not telling somebody that my marriage is broke. I've been spending like half my life trying to convince everybody it's fine. Well, then what? I just tell them it's, it's screwed up? How hard is it to ask for help? Hardest thing in the world, isn't it? Hardest thing in the world. You know, it rained for 19 solid days a little while ago. Remember that? In the storm that happened right before it rained for 19 days, some shingles blew off my roof. For 19 solid days, it rained, and those shingles were off my roof. You know why? Because I didn't ask anybody for help. Because I went up there, and apparently I'm scared of heights. <laughs> I kind of thought I was, and then I got there. For sure deal. For sure deal now. Yeah. Finally, I said to a buddy of mine, like, look, you're going to have to come do it. Like, I'm too, I'm, I, I'm scared. I need you to come do it. How hard is it to ask for help? How long do we wait until we ask for help? This woman comes right through the door of a separatist, a religious leader. Think of all the excuses we make up on why we don't want to ask somebody for help. Well, they'll probably judge me or put it on Facebook. Ugh, I hate her. There's no way I'm asking somebody for help. She blows right through the door of a religious leader. Now think about what she's got on the line right here. She's gambling every single bit of her. She does not know Jesus. She throws herself down at his feet and he could reject her on the spot. I mean, just take the pattern of the rest of the world. Have you ever been rejected? Yes. Has anybody ever said anything ugly about you? Yes. Anybody ever made you feel stupid in a crowd? Yes. Absolutely. What if Jesus is like them? Uh -huh. He could crush her now. And she brings every single thing. Every shred of dignity is gone. Self-confidence, gone. And she pours it all out in front of Jesus. It's hard to ask for help, but you know what's worse? You know what's worse? Letting it all fall apart because of your pride. See it in marriages all the time. Rap on the door, rap on the office door, want to come in, hey, can we talk? Yeah. So here's the thing, and the conversation starts, and you know what it turns into? Look, here's the deal. We've basically already filed. Uh, we just want to kind of give it one last go. I mean, we have different places. I'm already paying rent somewhere else. I'm, um, I, don't, I don't know. 
Like, is this a real thing? Do you really want to try to get... Nah, we really don't have much hope in this process. Uh, up high. I got... High five. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, why do we hold on that long? Why do we hold on so long to this addiction, this, this, these things that bind us up? I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for help. This lady shreds every single bit of herself to put it in front of Jesus. She overcomes an obstacle. She does not care what anybody thinks of her. You know what sucks about a small town? Is that in a small town, everybody already knows your business, and so you're always kind of working from a deficit. Well, everybody already knows I'm kind of jacked up. Now I just kind of need to be good all the time, except we're not. And we can't. Well, it's kind of hard because I'm kind of important and people kind of know me. Okay, they don't kind of know you because you're screwed up and they don't know that, so they don't know you. Right? Yet, this is how we live. The minute we can say, I'm kind of screwed up, kind of need some help. What do I need to do next? We get better. But that takes an execution of our pride. And that's the thing that stops that. Pride keeps us locked into our sin. Pride keeps us locked into our sin. If you're taking notes, principle number three, pride keeps us locked in to our sin. You know what I love about this church? And I hear you say these things when we talk about stuff. Random times, you'll say these kind of deals. Hey, who was the guy with the, who was the lady that came in? Who was the man who was sitting in the middle? There's certain situations and certain people who when they walk into the church, oh, and I love this one too. Hey, I saw so-and-so was at church. I saw him too. That was cool. You know what that means? It means that somebody has walked in there and has somehow spiritually charged the room. And it's true because there's a certain energy that we all have. And then there's certain people that walk in and your energy's like, whoa, hey, what? Interesting. I wonder what's going on in their life. I bet they got a DUI. I bet that's what happened. <laughs> true, right? I know what happened. I bet he got a DUI. I didn't read it in the paper, but I didn't get yesterday's paper. Did I get yesterday's paper? Probably the neighbor stole it. He's an idiot anyway. Right? This is the thing. Like, this is, this is kind of how it goes. Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. Oh, I know what. Oh, I know why they're here. I heard. I heard. I follow them on Facebook. They don't know I do, but I follow them. They, and this is kind of how it works. It charges a room. This woman comes into the room, and immediately it charges the room. And when it does, there's something that happens. It happens here just the same, which is why I say God came to save Christians too. We have to be careful as Christians because we can get super judgmental with the whole, I'm pretty sure he got a DUI and that's why he's going to church, right? We can get there. We can get there quick. Same thing happens to Simon. This woman pours into the room and Simon thinks to himself, listen to this verse. Uh, where am I at? When the Pharisee, verse 39, chapter 7, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, okay, said to himself, internal thoughts clicking, this is not, no one's hearing this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't know who's touching him. This is what kind of woman she is and that she's a sinner to himself, right? Luke coyly writes this next line. And Jesus answered him. Beautiful, isn't it? 
What kind of nonsense? You know, that reminds me. What reminds you? I was saying, I didn't say anything. Oh, here's another one for you. Here's another just spiritual principle you just put away. I don't know what it's good for. In the spiritual realm, saying it and thanking it are the same thing. Free game. Jesus has got free reign over your thoughts. You start running through it. Th- I'm going to hit him. I'm going to put a bar of soap in that sock, and I'm going to tie it off, and I'm going to waylay that dude when he falls asleep. End of story. And Jesus is like, that reminds me. Whoa, hey. Sorry, Jesus, I didn't know you was listening to. Yes, our thoughts. But that reminds us, because you go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother, you are subject to judgment. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. In the spiritual realm, where we're headed next, these all have to be tied together we can't have a duplicit life. The mind cannot be just saying, you know what I'm doing over here while I'm in church right now? I know I'm on my way to church, but I cannot wait till I get done with church. It's not this duplicit thing that's going on. Everybody sees this guy, but nobody knows this guy. Simon thinks to himself, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him, which Jesus does. He already knows who's touching him. And Luke writes, And Jesus answered him. Look at this verse. Simon, I have something to tell you. Which is a great line. You don't hear that line in scripture very often. Simon, yo, I got something to tell you. Simon says, well, tell me. Two men owed a moneylender money. One guy owed two months of his wages. Two months. The other guy, he owed two years of wages. Neither one could pay it back. So, the lender forgave both debts. And then everybody's like, do you have his business card? He forgave the debts. You know what? This guy can't pay it back. This guy can't pay it back. You know what, guys? It's on me. Forget about it. The Lord's been good. Business is booming. Forget about it. Simon? Yes, Lord? Which man do you think would love the lender more? Simon is blind to his own sin. He is judgmental and he's critical of this woman and of Jesus probably more so of Jesus than this woman. He doesn't even think much about her. She's a sinner, but this guy calling himself a prophet, he is that guy, but he's not an idiot. And by way of common sense, he deduces, oh, well, I imagine the guy who's forgiven the bigger debt. Luke coyly writes, look at this again. This is so subtle. You have judged correctly. That seems to be the thing you're good at judging you judged correctly then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon does it say then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon Simon's over here 
Simon? See this woman? All eyes on her. This is her greatest fear. Everybody rejects her. She's not claimed by anybody. Oh, she may be visited. She may be rented. But nobody claims her. And now Jesus is going to embarrass her? Just point at her and all of this right here on the spot? Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much but who has been forgiven little loves little it's another spiritual principle for you this isn't about who has sinned more or who has sinned less that's a common misconception about this verse oh well she sinned a lot of course she's going to be more happy that Jesus forgave all those sins he's a separatist he's a really good guy that's not what it says it says, he who has been forgiven, not he who has sinned less, he who has been forgiven. You know what that means? That means that it's on you to decide. There's a spiritual pattern here. Let me, let me tell you what it is. Forgiveness comes after repentance. Right? Forgiveness comes after repentance. If we do something wrong, and then we hold the position that we are not wrong, which you know is an epidemic in our world, correct? Nobody's wrong for anything, right? Oh, I'm not wrong. I just have a different way of viewing things. Oh, okay. Is there wrong? Yes, there's wrong. There is wrong and there is right. When we get to a place to where we begin to just take wrong and right and throw it away, life becomes an absolute disaster. So here we are standing right in this place when we decide I have sinned I've made a mistake now I can either choose to say I am wrong and I can repent or I can hold the position that I'm not wrong and thus try to still beg forgiveness from God except here's the problem there is a car parked in the lot right in the space where God would like to park his forgiveness and what it is is my ugly looking Prius full of pride over here running on electricity double-a batteries with me and it's parked right here probably double parked because it's that kind of pride you know and, and Jesus is like I would like to park some forgiveness in your heart except I can't I need you to remove that ugly thing over there that is that is your sin yeah but I'm not wrong then what do you want forgiveness for if you hold on to the position that you're not wrong then you don't need forgiveness the minute you say yeah but it's I'm justified because you know if you would see the way she talks to me at home then you'd know oh wow really that's re that's how it goes well yeah I mean I can do whatever I want like you should see him he's super lazy why so you're not wrong well I mean I'm probably wrong but compared to him I'm less wrong you know what we learn the scale of what sin is is not in your hands it's not in your hands the, the scale on what sin is 
is defined in scripture our responsibility is not to go in with our marker and be like don't like that one can we take this page out I'm not a fan our responsibility is to go to God and say pretty sure I can't meet that standard you want to take all this raw material here and see what you can do with it because I don't know if I can pull this off if we hold on to the position that we are not wrong then we don't need forgiveness but if we hold on to the position that we're not wrong and we are wrong we're in trouble we are outside of God's will husbands it's Mother's Day so I'm giving them the day off I'm going to come at you instead when we get our feelings hurt at home when we are when we feel walked on when we feel used when we feel bossed when we feel neglected with me husbands when we feel angry we feel embittered there's a point to where we have to say all of those things are bad all of those things hurt and are wrong but where am I wrong where am I wrong see I don't know about you I'll just speak for me but there is a moment inside of these arguments when my wife, my wife and I have these arguments to where I think she is more wrong than I am wrong pretty sure by like two points she's more wrong than I'm wrong and so then our relationship becomes this thing to where let's see if I can point out more ugly things about her and then she's like oh she want to take the gloves off fine here's two things about you I've never even mentioned that I hate <laughs> our honeymoon sucked <laughs> hmm. it was my mom that said marry you <gasps> This is the way it goes. Where am I wrong? Block out the rest. Dudes, husbands, listen. Block out the rest. Where are you wrong? That's your part. You don't get to play any other role. You don't get to put on a black robe and crawl up there and get up there where Judge Judy sits, right? You stand over there behind your little bitty measly microphone and you say the thing that you are wrong for. This is the thing that you are wrong for. That is your repentance. Take that ugly looking Prius full of pride, back it out and say, I'm wrong. I was wrong about this. And that does not come with a but. Hear me? I was wrong about this. But! I was wrong about this. You want to revolutionize your family? Do that. Let your kids hear it. You want to see your kids change? Do that in front of your kids. That will change everything. Because your kids will learn. Like, oh, so it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be offended. It's okay to process my emotions. And it's also okay for me to cut myself and bleed. To show somebody else that I'm human. That I have made mistakes. I can say I'm sorry and it's not the end of me. I'm sorry. My fault. Repentance comes before forgiveness. I love this part of the story right here. I love this part of the story. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. 
The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? There were three people in the room a minute ago, wasn't there? There was three. There was Jesus, this woman, and Simon. And now suddenly, the whole room is full of people. Like, this is a full tilt party. There are guests everywhere. And all of this happens in the presence of all of these people. What is your excuse for not getting help? What is your excuse? This woman breaks her soul open in front of Jesus, this other man that she doesn't know, and all of these other pious men. She breaks her soul open to get to Jesus. What is your problem? What's your problem? Why not? You're not that special. He loves you, but you're not that special. Nobody's watching. Break it open and give it to Jesus. Give him your very best. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those are good words for us. Listen, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need one. You need to meet Jesus. And maybe you're asking, okay, so how do I know if I'm a Christian or if I'm not a Christian? Well, this is an easy thing. This is an easy thing. Was there a moment in your life to where you said, you know what, I'm tired of depending on me because I'm faulty. Like, I cannot pull this off with the equipment that I've been given. It ain't happening. Like, I can't get right in life. Everything's kind of falling apart. I don't know how to do this. I always go back to anger. I always go back to porn. I always go back to sin. I always go back to gossip. It's always the same thing. At what point do we change that? When do these things change in our life? When we go to Jesus as this woman does. We back our pride out of the slot and we say, I need help right now. If you've done that, then here's a couple of things that follow. That's called repentance. To where you change your actions. Acts 2 says this. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that moves in our life that enables us to live the Christian life. To reach that high standard that we couldn't otherwise reach. For the rest of you, you who are doing it, you who are trudging along, producing fruit in your life, you're planted in the desert, your family's a disaster, your job is terrible, yet there's still this wonderful fruit growing on these trees and you just continue to do the right thing. Hey, listen, you're, doing, you're knocking it out of the park. Jesus' words, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Literally, have a transfer of status have a transfer of status. Keep stepping. You're doing it. Keep stepping. And go in peace.